and welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. I'm Senior Editor David Kiley and your host. This is the first podcast of 2024, and we are going to deliver a few of these first episodes of the year this week and the next couple weeks from CES 2024 in Las Vegas. Probably most of the folks listening have been to CES. I got to tell you, it has become truly enormous. And to be honest, I'm not sure it's a great idea to have smart toaster ovens at the same trade show as autonomous vehicles, but there we are. It's not for me to say. CES has become the place where automakers and suppliers want to showcase their newest ideas and updated tech offerings. And I have filed a few stories from the show already, and there are more to come as I empty my notebook in the next week or so. A few of the highlights of the show included a new line of EVs from Kia, modular EVs of different sizes, kind of reminds me a bit of the Ford Transit van lineup, but with EV powertrains, and they all kind of fit together. For example, if you were transporting a load from a port to an inner city warehouse, let's say, and you needed to shift the load from the larger vehicle to a smaller one, The Kia design allows a load to shift from one to the other if you park them back to back. The floors are on the same level and height, and you can even accessorize these vehicles to make load transfers even easier and automatic. They come with a rail system, too, for lots of accessories. And even though they kind of look like uh, they'd be mostly commercial vehicles, it may be... uh, robo-taxis and things like that, I can totally see a consumer demand for these vehicles. We'll see if they ever get to the U.S. Right now, they're destined for the Korean market, perhaps Europe. Honda showed a new EV line, two vehicles under the new Zero sub-brand. That's right, they're going to be marketed as Zero, and there's a new Honda logo which uh, is a riff, if you will, on their uh, long-standing logo, which is meant to convey the idea of two people shaking hands. And it forms the H. Well, this one, there's an H there, but there's also a zero. And they say it's meant to convey someone with their arms outstretched. It was all very interesting. And Honda, of course, has pulled back from some of their EV ventures. They canceled the venture they had with General Motors, even though we're going to see the fruits of that uh, this year in the form of the Honda Prologue and Acura ZDX. Uh, They're built on top of the Ultium platform that GM developed. And there was lots of speeches, lots of content and demos around autonomous driving solutions and the emerging hydrogen economy. Lots of talk about the software-based vehicle, and that's where I'm going to segue to the excellent chat that I had on the show floor in Las Vegas with my Ward's intelligence colleague, Maite Bezira, who is our principal analyst on software-based vehicles. Listen in on our show floor conversation about this enormous shift in the industry and the enormous challenges and pitfalls, or should I say potholes, that the companies we cover are falling into. So here on the floor of CES 24, and I am joined now by Maite Bezira, who is our 
uh, Informa's principal analyst, Ward's intelligence principal analyst for uh, software-based vehicles. And um, there's a lot of attention, a lot of news, a lot of forums and speeches and presentations about the software-based vehicle. Maite, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Maite, we've both, and and we're doing it right on the floor here at the uh, Gentex booth. So we thank Gentex for providing a couple of stools, but you're going to hear the ambient noise of the of the convention floor, which is just fine. Gives you a little sense of immediacy. The VinFast uh, booth across from us, there's a lady playing the organ for some inexplicable reason. <laughs> But we're going to talk about the stuff that our listeners want to hear about. So, Maite, the first question I have for you is I know you've been you've been on panels and you've been in forums and things like that. Can you give me like three things that you have written down in your notebook and put stars next to as things you want to remember, things that you think are important, things that you want to follow up on when you get back to London? Sure. I think there are three key elements uh, that I'm seeing in CES when it comes to software-defined vehicles. First is AI. AI is everywhere, right? So uh, I think there are two main perspectives of AI that's happening in CES. One is AI being used uh, in the digital experience. So a lot of uh, OEMs bringing generative AI, more specifically chat GPT, uh, integrating them in their voice systems in the car. So we saw Volkswagen do it, doing it. We saw uh, Mercedes doing it as well. So it's, it's really uh, trying to improve the user experience with this uh, a tool that became really uh, popular. But it can, it can also bring uh, something for, for the drivers and passengers as well. And then the other element of AI is on the chip side. So uh, this is not new. We, having, we have been seeing the OEMs really launching very powerful SOCs. But we still see, uh, you know, uh, several players like uh, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, uh, showing the chips that can run powerful AI at the edge. I think that's that's the main point. Bringing uh, sophisticated machine learning and AI algorithms to run at the edge. And on that, I would say very uh, impressed with Intel's uh, announcement. They are really, I'll say, back to automotive and they finally have uh, a, a platform to compete in uh, this, you know, centralization of domains in vehicles and running AI at the edge. We have the software, software, of course, being a key point in software-defined vehicles. So we've seen companies, especially um, very interesting announcements with BlackBerry, enabling OEMs to uh, start development of their infotainment systems based on QNX at the cloud, which is the third element that uh, I'm going to say that is very important. But having this software available at the cloud and allowing developers to start developing uh, applications for the car without having the hardware ready. So really uh, making, uh, you know, the development of software way more efficient uh, and shorter because it has been very long uh, in automotive. And then the third component is the cloud. So uh, I think everyone here is talking about, you know, you have the, your applications running at the car at the edge, but you have a parity in the cloud. So then, again, allow OEMs to, you know, collaborate and start working their applications together 
in this virtual environment in the cloud that looks very similar to the car, right? Of course, you have different levels of virtualization at the cloud, but the idea is that you are able to work in the cloud without necessarily having the car and again, making development more efficient. The, one of the things that popped out of what you just told us was you mentioned BlackBerry <laughs> as a supplier. And, and I guess I'm thinking, I, not, to, not to put down the good people of BlackBerry, but if I'm an automaker and I'm making this big bet on, on software, is BlackBerry really the supplier that I'm going with based on their, you know, the, the robustness of their, of their uh, smartphone business that <laughs> they completely let get away? <laughs> That is such a good point. And I, I was I was thinking, I was actually talking about this, and it's quite interesting how BlackBerry, they, they're always in, in fields in which they have to prove themselves, isn't it? And I think in the car, something quite interesting happened. A few years ago, you would see all the car makers using uh, BlackBerry QNX software in the infotainment system. And then uh, the OEMs started migrating out of it because they wanted open source. So they wanted Android, right? So everybody was saying, okay, BlackBerry is really losing competitiveness in infotainment. And they did. They're gonna, not going to say that they didn't as an infotainment OS itself. But the company keeps reinventing itself and coming up with uh, revolutionary products. And now they have... QNX for safety systems. I mean, it's not a new product. I'm not going to say that it is, right? But it's, uh, you know, when you have an infotainment system, you have the gimmicks of the infotainment, so the head unit running on Android, but Android's not safe, right? So you can't have your cluster uh, running on Android. You can't have your vehicle speed, temperature, and everything running on an unsafe uh, or not safe uh, OS. So that's where QNX comes. So use QNX for that safety area, that safety island in your car, and the hypervisor. Because, okay, no one should get too technical in here. <laughs> but when we talk about, you know, consolidating all these vehicle issues into very powerful SOCs that can run AI at the edge, you will start having loads of things running together in the same hardware, right? And things that are safe and things that are not. So how do you make sure that you know, no one hacks into your Android and suddenly starts controlling the right. safe areas of your car, for right. example, right? You need to have an element to do this. And that's where BlackBerry is becoming really strong with their hypervisor, which creates the safe, the safe island that you cannot really penetrate. And also another thing that BlackBerry was very clever was to bring and make this hypervisor and make the software available in the cloud. So Stellantis just announced that they are using uh, the BlackBerry system on the cloud with AWS. And then they have all the infotainment system available on the desktops for people working in Stellantis and they all can collaborate and improve the vehicle experience. <laughs> so I just want to tell our listeners, VinFast has gone beyond the organ music and is now has like a drum machine going or something for, for reasons it's hard to imagine, but, um, but I think we can hear. Okay. Um, well, it's funny that on Blackberry, because, you know, of course, another thing we keep seeing and hearing about is the introduction of cameras everywhere. Right. So, um, with Blackberry playing in that space, I'm wondering if I should be looking around for a Kodak booth to provide the, the cameras and sensors. I don't. I don't think Kodak is here. Anyway, so I, I want to. It's my turn about the software-based car or vehicle, and what I've been noticing, and that is this. And and thank God you're here to talk about the technical stuff because 
I often pretend to understand it, but here's what I do understand, and I feel like I have a full grasp on having covered this business for 40 years, and it's what I'm hearing a lot of from different quarters this week, and that is the challenge of legacy automakers like your Ford, General Motors, Mercedes, BMW, even Hyundai, which you know has a big, big presence here, culturally competing in this space of the software-based vehicle and managing both the exit from their internal combustion business and their entry into software, because these are not software companies. And as much as companies that we're familiar with want to position themselves because of market valuation as tech companies, nobody is viewing them as tech companies. They're viewing them as mobility companies who rely on emerging technology. So one of the things that I'm fascinated by is talent. I would talk to... um, a guy this week who's very knowledgeable in the space, very knowledgeable in the software space. And he says the legacy automakers are going about this the wrong way from a talent standpoint. He says they need like 15 or 16 rock star level software engineers who are not just engineers, but, but visionary architects of, of what these companies need to do. And, and it's almost impossible for the auto companies to recruit them for two reasons. If you have rock star status in this space and you have a job offer from Apple or Google or Ford or BMW, which are you going to take? Especially because the Silicon Valley companies are going to pay you a lot more money. The legacy car companies like Ford, et cetera, they're not, their they're human resources structures are not 21st century to pay these rock star people what they're worth on the open market. So that that's, to me, is a huge cultural issue. The second thing is, what exactly 10 to 15 years from now, when we are full on, in the software-based vehicle and ICE vehicles are being relegated to museums, what is Ford, General Motors, BMW going to own? They're going to own their brand, but what's behind the brand? What is the intellectual property? If I don't have the wherewithal to establish software expertise in my company, and my own central software management system. If I am held hostage to all of these suppliers, all of whom have their own IPs, what exactly is my business going forward? So those are the two big struggles that I see from the legacy automakers and tension between them and the suppliers that they rely on. I've been getting presentations from suppliers. They all want to protect their IP. Of course they do. That's central to their business. They want the automakers to be captive to them, to be ultimate, you know, ultra-reliant on them because it guarantees future business. 
I completely agree. And I think this is where the cloud plays a very important role, Kylie, because you make a very important point. And I think, my opinion, right, this approach on uh, I, I want my car to have this and this feature, so I'll just go to the tier one supplier and the tier one supplier solves it all and design everything it wants and selects the tier two and three suppliers that would be running in my car and I have no visibility or flexibility around that. That is not going to make you successful, okay? If you continue these business models, you're, you're going to have problems because we have now... Um, upcoming regulation, cybersecurity regulation in Europe, uh, which starts this year, by the way, okay? So uh, all OEMs will be liable for any faulty software that is in their car. So if they do not have any flexibility and if the IP is all, you know, 100% owned by their suppliers and they don't have any flexibility to make any changes in the software, they're in trouble. They are really in trouble because they will be liable. Yeah. And they will have to fix it. And what is going to happen? And we're going to see some OEMs having to remove some vehicles from the market. And we're already seeing, uh, seeing yes. that. Porsche stop. is already. And, and General Motors is in a stop sale situation with their uh, with their most recent EV because it takes them months to figure out what the heck is wrong and months to fix it. Exactly. And this is where, uh, you know, technologies like digital twins are creating these virtual environments in the cloud that allow different companies to collaborate on the cloud, so virtually. This is very important. You need to create a communication channel so everyone knows what is going in the car, where the problem is, and how to solve it. I know that talking like this seems that is very easy and is going to happen very quickly. Of course, it's not the, the how it's going to happen, but the technologies are there and they have to be implemented. There's an old saying in business and, and corporations, and that is everybody is in the real estate business, right? Everybody that we just talked about has their patch of the, of the business, their patch of ground to protect and to monetize. In well into the future. So those are the competing interests. Now, the problem with all of this is that, so who referees this, right? Who Who's supposed to sort it out? Government. Well, do you think that government has people even as knowledgeable as you and me asking these questions? No, because if you're smart enough to ask the right questions, you're working in private industry. You're not working for the government and you're not working for some congressperson or some some EU politician. Uh, you, you know, it's 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 really it really feels like a mess. Yes. You know, there are some aspects of this that I think are absolutely fantastic. For example, fewer moving parts in a vehicle and the ability to fix what does go wrong by OTA. But the industry is going to have to figure out the software part of this in terms of who owns it, who has access to it, who has rapid access to run the checks, to find the bugs, to find the problems and fix them without going through a ridiculous Byzantine process 
with purchase orders and work orders that have to be approved and take weeks or a month to, you know, that's the other aspect of this. These big companies, are their HR and purchasing departments modernized enough to cope with this change? And I would say, no, they're not. that is the main point. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, because um, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> no, because you know, this is what you hear. You are in these shows, the stack shows, and you talk to engineers. They understand the technology, right? They understand the software-defined vehicle. They understand what has to be in place. But then uh, they say, "What is our challenge? The purchase department." The purchase department still wants to, uh, you know, make money on the vehicle. So have a return on investment on your vehicle on the first owner. And, you know, if you are moving in a direction in which you improve your vehicle during its life cycle of 10, 15, 20 years, you need to over-provision. You need to put more hardware in this vehicle than you are using when you are selling the vehicle. If you do that, your costs are obviously going to increase. And that means that, you know, you may have to sell your vehicle at a loss for the first owner, and you may have to. You're gonna have to focus on these recurrent revenues. So I, I think, uh, Kylie, the the point in here is, we are in a stage of we need to change the mindset. The traditional AMs have to understand that the game changed. The rules of the game changed. If they want to continue playing the same game they will lose competitiveness and they will stay behind. You need to see vehicles, the way you you sell it, the way you monetize it, the way you maintain it, the way you manufacture, the way you design it, it's, it's going to be completely different. And you need to accept it. And the earlier you do, the better. Because then you can use the tools to solve all this mess that looks like a mess, but there are tools that you can use to solve it. And you, if you start solving this now, better. <laughs> if you wait, then you will be in trouble. I'm going to apologize again because the VinFast people have uh, cranked up the music, uh, but I think uh, my, our engineer will be able to make sure that, that Maite and I are both heard. Um, but it, it's... It, and I'll just throw one more thing into what I think are the enemies of companies succeeding. So I've mentioned HR. I've mentioned purchasing department. Now, intertwined in the purchasing department is the legal department. And so one of the things that I don't think anybody's figured out is on these different things, who's going to bear liability for massive recalls, for accidents that that may happen? I mean, this is certainly going to be in the space as autonomous driving uh, continues. We haven't even talked about that. But... And remember I said everybody's in the real estate business. Well, that includes purchasing people. It includes the legal departments. It includes the personal injury lawyers that are sitting on the sidelines applauding the confusion, the lack of clarity, because they know that's where litigation lives in terms of tagging the right people with the right amount of liability. So it's a confounding mess, and the CEOs who figure this out, and honestly, I don't exactly know what the mechanism is. I think they're foolish to leave it to their, like, Washington lobbying groups. I think there needs to be a consortium 
of high, like a business roundtable situation of automakers and, and some of these suppliers to figure out how everybody is going to make money on IP without strangling the industry in, in the process. And I, I'm, I'm unaware that that's taking place, but <laughs> I, I'm sure that on some level there are some staff people who are, you know, trying to make that. But I haven't seen anything come out of it. So, um, so anyway, my take, thank you so much for sharing your insights and for enduring the VinFast uh, drum machines while we recorded this. And enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed our chat and read our coverage of CES 2024 from last week and continuing this week. And remember, Ward's Auto is turning 100 this year. That's right. We have been continuously publishing since 1924 when the top selling model was, wait for it, the Model T. Charles Lindbergh was still three years away from flying across the Atlantic. We were still in the silent picture era. And it was the same year, 1924, that Johnson & Johnson started mass marketing a new idea called, can you guess? The Band-Aid. <laughs> we'll be back next week with more from CES. Until then, I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor at Wards. Enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm.